Okay, I think we're alive. Welcome everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Bharatwarta Weekly. So we're trying something new. We've woken up on a Sunday morning to bring you all the news and events from last week. And uh, thank you so much for uh, wanting to skip the news and watch the weekly instead. I have with me Ashish Chandorkar and Srivatsa Subana. Hi guys. Good morning to you. Hi Gary. Morning. Hi Gary. Good morning. Lovely cold morning in Bangalore. Uh, Ashish, you're done with your poha breakfast. Uh, and in Pune, <laughs> the poha is uh, just just on the on its way. So. Okay, it'll be a well earned poha, I think, after the weekly. All right. So moving on. Uh, before we get started with the news and events of uh, last week, uh, just a quick recap of what we did uh, uh, in terms of podcasts. Uh, we had three very good podcasts uh, last week. Uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, hosting Deepak and Nikhil on the UPI podcast. Um, I mean, I think it's probably one of the most comprehensive discussions on UPI that uh, you will ever see, right? Uh, many different aspects uh, were discussed. And what is really uh, positive is, you know, the number of use cases that are still yet to be mined, right? And also the the whole API-led uh, building block sort of a growth that can be emulated in various other uh, spheres of growth as well so so it's it's it was really really amazing to kind of uh, listen to these guys and both nikhil uh, was involved with the conception of upi and then you know deepak uh, headed uh, growth and uh, growth and product for paytm which is one of the largest payments con- uh, companies uh, uh, in india so two of the two, probably two of the best uh, people who you could uh, imagine speaking on such a subject uh, What's uh, Ashish, uh, your pick for moments from last week? I'll go first. Uh, I think the Nehru Ambedkar Patel episode was uh, was really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially having someone like Abhinav come in and talk about the freedom movement as an amalgamation of uh, different movements, and then you know, going on uh, into detail about you know why Ambedkar may not have been involved in the mainstream. Uh, sort of freedom movement but is is considered as one of the architects of modern india uh, likewise uh, you know the take on patel and nehru was also very interesting uh, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable episode and i i personally learned a lot so it was like a great lesson in history a short one hour lesson in history yeah fascinating i think this was the best episode in my view of bharatvarta uh, i said it in a couple of groups and people were saying that, that that's really high praise but i I genuinely felt it was like very educating in in uh, in, in its content. The right. Bihar one, obviously, uh, we did a analysis of of the elections of Bihar and uh, the bipoles. Uh, if you have not heard Rohit on Indian politics, you should hear him. He's not on Twitter, so this is probably the only public platform where he's available. Uh, his knowledge of politics and the details is just amazing. And uh, despite not being from the north, he talks about the. regions and seats and mlas and leaders and mps of of any state with uh, with a lot of command and that's, that's quite amazing so i would encourage you to listen to this episode of what's going to happen in indian politics after the bihar and the bipol results yeah i just add on to that uh, you know especially on rohit he done a fantastic job with our pre election episode as well and his take on how you know unfortunately the me- mainstream media will not learn from its lessons i think is very apt so while people should learn from you know what has happened in the election which has resulted in a comprehensive victory across uh, 
bipoles and even in bihar uh, unfortunately i don't see a lot changing when it comes to the mainstream media and you know how they view indian politics right all right uh, so let's quickly move on to the event from <coughs> last week uh the first uh, thing we're going to talk about is uh, the fact that lakshmi vilas bank collapsed uh, because of a deteriorating financial situation uh the 93 year old bank was placed under moratorium by the rbi on thursday a merger with dbs bank india will happen in the coming days uh the bank collapsed because of a lack of fresh capital bad corporate sector loans and governance issues the rbi has assured depositors that their money is safe for uh, existing employees will be kept on with their current salaries this is the fifth indian financial firm to collapse within the last 30 months what's up what do you think of this so uh, just to you know set the context in terms of the history of uh, lakshmi vilas bank uh, as you mentioned their their asset quality deteriorated so their gross npa was uh, around 10% in 2018 and it has now fallen to 25% in 2020 uh it's a it's a fairly big branch with a uh, bank with over 500 branches uh the problem started you know for lakshmi vilas bank when they shifted their focus from sme lending to uh, large businesses so they loaned out uh, around 720 crores uh to the promoters of ranbaxy and fortis uh and what happened was uh, in 2018 religair finvest which is a uh, which is an arm of religair enterprises sued a delhi branch <coughs> to recover fixed deposits worth about 800 crores that the bank had invoked to recover loans uh, from from the promoters uh, after which you know the bank was uh, placed under the prompt corrective action program of the rbi uh, so that's when uh, you know lakshmi vilas bank started to look for you know new investors mergers and so on uh their first attempt was to merge with uh, india bulls housing finance uh which rbi disapproved because it probably didn't want uh, you know to be seen as an nbfc acquiring a bank uh subsequently there was an attempt even made with uh, you know clicks capital clicks capital had uh, put in a proposal early in october and in mid november because it was taking a lot of time and you know no decision was made uh, they even threatened to pull out but then uh, you know almost suddenly you could say uh, there was a moratorium imposed which uh, which restricted customers from withdrawing money and uh, <clears throat> then a, a dbs uh, became like the uh, main suitor for uh, for lakshmi vilas bank uh so this is a, it's very interesting because uh, you know a foreign bank a subsidiary of a foreign bank uh, has been uh, asked to take over an indian bank so i think there are few things uh, that come out of it few messages one is that uh, i think rbi is clearly looking at foreign banks to set up subsidiaries and you know might actually give them uh, the option to take up uh, failed banks uh in case uh, in case they set up subsidiaries versus you know those foreign banks who seek a branch license and they want to operate the india business uh, as a branch uh this i think comes you know from the 2008 crisis where uh, there were some fears that uh, cities uh, india business was at risk because of some of the uh, bets placed by you know city bank in us in terms of mortgage backed securities and so on 
so probably RBI looks at this as a as a way to you know safeguard the Indian banking system and economy. Uh, the other interesting thing, both with Lakshmi Vilas Bank and earlier Yes Bank uh, deal, is that uh, you know the existing shareholders have been kind of wiped out. So it's not a it's not a conventional mergers in that sense. Um, so overall, you know, denying India Bulls a chance. So you know, I think that's a clear message that to NBFCs that banking license, you know, through acquisition may not come easy. Although there's been a recent development where there's been a yeah. recommendation made uh, to allow some of the larger NBFCs who have been in operation for 10 years or more to take up, uh, to give them a banking license. Uh, yeah, so that that's you know, to be informed. So they don't expect that, you know, this will happen smoothly. They expect legal challenges, but the framework is there in place to deal with it. So it may not, you know, the entire merger may not happen as smoothly as some people think it might take a little bit more time. All right, that was uh, very comprehensive. Ashish, what is the broader significance of this? Uh, maybe we should do a, a podcast on banking itself, right? There's plenty of content to discuss. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, beyond this uh, situation, which by the way, RBI handled quite well. The, the moratorium was placed for about a month and uh, it took only about 30 minutes for them to announce that uh, DBS was going to acquire uh, Lakshmi Vilas Bank. So, uh, tough Diwali for uh, some negotiators in RBI and the two banks, but I guess... Uh, they, they basically made sure that uh, there was no PMC bank type situation here. Uh, but more importantly and more significantly, there was a recommendation by a BI internal working group, which has proposed a complete overhaul of the banking system. We need to have a, a greater financialization in India where people, uh, I mean, Indian citizens hold more financial assets rather than physical assets. And for that, the banking system has to permeate and penetrate deep inside the country. Uh, which of course has not happened, uh, despite all the ob- that that being one of the objectives of nationalization in 1969. And um, this RBI working group has proposed that they would um, uh, um, uh, the, the I mean they would essentially amend the Banking Regulation Act of 1949, which gives RBIs the power to license banks to have regulation and control over the shareholding, voting rights, appointment of directors and management boards, all of that, and. Um, the uh, they, they would then uh, allow large corporate houses to get banking licenses. Uh, they've also said that large NBFCs can come, can uh, become banks and payment banks can become uh, small finance banks. So uh, fairly broad uh, recommendations. In fact, this would be the biggest banking reform if it uh, gets there. I mean, this is just an RBI internal working group. It has to be approved by RBI itself and then, of course, by the government. And uh, the if, But if this happens, it would be like a complete overhaul uh, remains to be seen what we do with the foreign banks in that case. Uh, but also, given that we are now consolidating PSBs and potentially have only four large banks in another five, six years or maybe 10 years, uh, the, these regulations will help uh, the, the M&A activity. So once the, once the government has created a significant mass on, on, on uh, having, let's say, four or five large banks and perhaps a few small banks which may not get merged, uh, they can later be sold off to the private players who might come in through this round. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, so Twitter apologized uh, after showing Ladakh as part of China, right? Uh, the company tendered a written apology to the Joint Committee of Parliament. Uh, this comes after the social media platform geotagged users in Ladakh as being in China. 
uh, Twitter later clarified that it was uh, caused by a software error combined with imperfect data within quotes. Uh, the company said that it was reviewing other geo tags in JNK and that the accurate information will be available by 30th of November, end of this month. Uh, Twitter has treated India as a priority market and said that it was committed to partnering with the government and uh, uh, Meti. So, Ashish, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, quite strange for a, for a, for Twitter to get its product wrong, but then you know that's what they have done with great ease and finesse uh, for the last 14 years. Uh, the this came up uh, through Nitin Gokhale, who's a veteran journalist and the editor-in-chief of Strat News Global. Um, he was visiting Ladakh a couple of weeks ago, and then that's where he found that the locations were uh, uh, misleading. And he put out a Twitter video uh, from the site, from, from Ladakh, showing that how it was being shown as China. And uh, that is when uh, the the Joint Parliamentary Committee, committee took it up. Uh, Vinakshi Lekhi, the BJP MP from Delhi, she uh, asked Twitter to uh, depose in front of the committee and Twitter has accepted the error now. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a little funny because see, I've, I've put, I've said this on Twitter earlier also that, uh, the importance of having maps is, and, and globes produced in India is understated. What happens is see, uh, just, just look around us in our own corporate environments or, or, you know, uh, the, the kind of maps, which we see on various, uh, third party sites, the slices of Kashmir are always shown as Pakistan or China, right? I mean, some sites do acknowledge that there is a disputed territory, quote unquote, uh, which, which obviously from an Indian perspective is wrong because we, we, we have all of JNK as per our official map. So, uh, and, and Ladakh, I mean, now of course, uh, there are two different union territories. So, uh, the, uh, the, the, the issue can only be resolved if India takes control of the map mapping, ma- making market itself, which today is not the case today. Bulk of the globe export or the printed maps export happens from China. And I mean, with all the Atmanirbhar discussion, I would actually argue that this should be one of the highest priorities of the government to take control of the market. It is not a very big, I mean, it's not a very specialized market can be easily, uh, you know, uh, attacked as such. But until that happens, um, we need to enforce our uh, IT act. I mean, the the act around uh, the uh, representing Indian symbols very, uh, very, very uh, stridently. Because uh, increasingly you see that Indian representation is now not correct on most of the Western sites. And unless we really act on it, people will not know what, I mean, uh, unfortunately it's not just the people outside India, it is also the Indians who have now forgot what India looks like. And it's getting into a territory where people don't know where to find the right maps. So this is a broader issue. I mean, good that we have acted on Twitter uh, to kind of uh, render this apology, but, but there's much more to it and much more needs to be done. Right. All right. Uh, so moving on to another social media platform, uh, Parler saw 2000% growth during the US elections. Uh, the sudden growth came between November 7th and November 9th, with the app surpassing 500,000 downloads by the 9th. Right now, the user base is mainly comp- comprised of uh, Trump supporters. Uh, well, okay. And uh, Twitter and Facebook have been aggressive with their content uh, policing solutions during the election. Parler, on the other hand, has a very hands-off approach to content moderation. This could promote the spread of misinformation and conspiracy theories, apparently. Uh, so, Srivatsa, what do you think about this? Vatsa, you're on mute. I know. That's why I yeah. shut up immediately. <laughs> 
so uh, yeah i mean parlor is is a interesting sort of platform uh, in the sense it can probably be called you know a very bare bones kind of version of twitter uh, where you know your news feed is chronological there's no curation they don't they don't run any algorithms on the uh, actual news feed and it's it's become popular uh, as you mentioned after you know during that election week and now probably has around 8 million users nowhere close to twitter twitter probably has more than 300 350 yeah. million users uh and also you know parlor does not advertise they don't uh, and the search functionality is limited so you can only search by hashtag so it's a it's a fairly rudimentary version of twitter in that sense and the reason as you mentioned people are you know registering with parlor is because it guarantees them quote unquote free speech in the sense that there is uh, there's no censorship there's no regulation as such <clears throat> which which of which you know a lot happens on twitter and uh, somewhere i think you know twitter facebook all of these uh, apps through their own actions they have uh, they have given birth you know to to an app like parlor uh, so and twitter itself has been you know very inconsistent in the sense in the way it uh, implements its policies uh, you know you can see some viral videos of ted cruz where he is uh, you know asking sort of difficult questions of jack dorsey but just to give an example uh, you know when donald trump made a claim that uh, you know the election he's won the election there was a very prompt rejoinder put there saying that this is under dispute or you know he's been cheated again there was a rejoinder put there but when the same thing happened in india where uh, you know the evms are routinely sort of mocked after each election and they say evm is every vote to modi or that you know the bjp has stolen elections there are uh, no such uh, you know disclaimers or rejoinders added there so uh, there's no consistency in terms of the way twitter implements its policies and more importantly i i don't think anyone even knows how they decide something is fake news or you know how something is questionable the fact checking algorithms are not public uh, so i think earlier this year uh, and balaji has been saying this a lot you know that fact checking needs to go the way of uh, open source software exactly and uh, you know the the algorithms that are used for fact checking because it's humanly not possible uh, you know to check every tweet whether it's factually correct or not so it has to be done through algorithms if you try to do it humanly again there is a latency issue things will get delayed and you know fake news might actually spread by the time you decide to classify something as fake news so uh, overall this is an other extreme approach where you say i'm completely hands off but that in itself i think will create its own set of challenges we saw how you know in the middle of last decade how twitter facebook etc were used by some extremist groups like isis to recruit people so you know platforms cannot take a completely hands off approach when it comes to the content on their website there is there is obviously a need for some regulation and there is a need uh, you know to make the whole fact checking the censorship process more uh, more transparent so that uh, you know people uh, based on ideology at least this idea does not come that people are censored based on ideology 
No, it's a very difficult problem to solve. Certainly, I would say. But then, I mean, the first uh, instinct to solve the solution should not have been on the content or publishing aspect of things. I mean, I think it should be. It should have been a more technological problem. It should have been a more, more infra problem, and the platforms should have acted as platforms. But I mean, I think now we're too far uh, down that line because I think uh, you know um, during the parliamentary committee depositions itself, I mean, uh, Dorsey said. Uh, that uh, Twitter is a platform, but then you know, Cruz uh, proved very convincingly, very convincingly that you know, even though they're a platform, they're acting like a publishing house, right? So, so yeah, I mean, interesting times ahead, and I think regulation is only uh, is uh, I mean, is is de definitely inevitable in that regard. Ashish, as a Parler user, what is your experience? Yeah, I joined Parler last week. Uh, it seems a bit like an echo chamber. I think a lot of people don't understand and appreciate this enough that the social media, for all its uh, follies and all its criticism, uh, actually is attractive because there are people to criticize. Uh, if you were all uh, staying with folks who had the same uh, viewpoint, social media would lose its charm uh, quite quite rapidly. And uh, uh, right now, the way Parler, uh, I have actually followed everyone who follows me. So uh, I see a very conformist timeline in that sense. Uh, also, right now, a lot of people are putting Twitter screenshots uh, on Parler, uh, essentially their, their own tweets and link to their own tweets. So I think it's not really a uh, plat platform of choice for India. And of course, as Vatsa says, uh, U U UI, etc. is quite rudimentary. But uh, uh, eventually, uh, people miss this point that it is not about, I mean, ideological control, quote unquote, is not about not having the other ideology. People want to win after an argument, but the uh, a platform like Parlors do not have uh, a, a, I mean, there's, there's no one to counter there. So not sure how long uh, these platforms will stick uh, and, and grow. All right. But as a true social media influencer, you're everywhere. Uh, new platform, new ID. Yes, of course. <laughs> All right. So you can catch uh, C. Ashish on Parlor, and uh, I think Vatsa and I will be joining soon, of course. Hopefully, right? Yeah, Bharat Varta is already on Parler. So okay, follow us on uh, Parler already, right? If, so if yeah, you are on Parler. Please do follow us on Parler as well. Right, so moving on to some grim news. Uh, the CRPF uh, killed uh, four Jaisha Mohammed terrorists in an encounter at Nagrota. Uh, these terrorists were planning to derail the District Development Council poll and disrupt the election process. Along with 7.5 uh, kg of RDX, the CRPF uh, also found an arsenal of weapons and explosives with the terrorists. Most of the terrorist uh, equipment was uh, made in Pakistan. Uh, the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Modi mentioned that they were planning an attack on the anniversary of 2611, which is just around the corner. Uh, Pakistani agencies have been on high alert after JNK was declared a union territory last year. Uh, Ashish, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a good success for Indian armed forces. See, Nagrota is a... Uh, uh, had also see, already seen an attack in 2016. If you remember, there were uh, in November, end of no, end of November 2016, there was a attack there on our army base where we had lost seven of our uh, uh, office. I mean, uh, seven of our soldiers, uh, including uh, I think a couple of officers. So uh, this place has been uh, on the radar of the militants for a while. I think what what worked well on in this case was it looks like our intelligence system worked uh, quite flawlessly. The militants were pure, probably lured into the Indian territory and then uh, they were essentially intercepted and their truck was attacked and eliminated. Uh, joint operation between CRPF, Indian Army and uh, the Kashmir police. Um, 
right uh, and it it brings to mind what someone said that they only have to be right once right um, so yeah, let's hope that uh, we're all safe and sound and more power to our uh, indian army as well uh, moving on so the bp the bpcl uh, disinvestment has moved to the second phase uh, the government has received multiple expressions of interest uh, in the bidding process of bharat petroleum the the qualifying bidder will have a controlling stake in bpcl and 25.77% of india's fuel retailing uh, market share the government is selling its stake in the company as part of uh, plans to raise 2.1 lakh crores uh, however there is low interest in the campaign mainly because of the covid-19 pandemic and the uh, crash in global uh, crude oil prices right uh, what's how you've been tracking this uh, what are your thoughts uh so uh i was just checking if i was on mute uh, before i spoke so uh i think see uh we know that there are three or four players who have expressed interest of whom uh, vedanta is one uh, vedanta uh, you know had acquired uh, kens india business nearly a decade ago uh, so that explains uh, their interest 
the government is planning to sell its entire stake which is around close to 53% it you know there's a plan to uh, raise 2.1 lakh crores from disinvestments this year uh, that that was the original plan uh, we don't know who the other uh, investors are at this stage and vedanta has said that you know they'll float a spv for this purpose uh this would uh you know cost them around based on you know last week's price somewhere close to 40 45000 crores and they will also have to buy the public stake uh, which is another you know 26% which is held by the public uh so at this stage it's just the eui that has been received uh you know then that evaluating that will probably take a few weeks or a month and then you know a formal rfp will be asked for uh it is kind of surprising that you know reliance has not bid for this because uh, reliance does have a small retail business in addition to its petroleum refining business uh but it it seems that they have not bid uh, neither has aramco which is the uh, you know largest oil company in the world uh so yeah we need to see i mean uh, how this goes on and uh, at at what price it is finally sold uh so that's uh, they they planning to conclude the sale by the end of the financial year which is around march uh so yeah that let's wait and watch and uh, hope that you know the government gets the best deal for for uh, for this disinvestment i think carry the timing of both the flagship disinvestments has gone ori uh, btcl as well as air india those are two businesses which have been really impacted by covid and the problem with the oil businesses is that there could be a long term trend here in terms of companies not putting in uh, uh, more money for for expansion etc and retailing uh, also is not an easy business it's not an upstream business where these companies already hold competency in uh, retailing any any b2c business needs its own skill sets etc and uh, that's not where uh, companies like aramco adnock etc have been playing so let's hope that this uh, gets gets done but the probability of the government realizing uh, a good uh, good valuation may, be, may actually be quite small here and uh, the fact that uh, there could only be two or three people left or two or three bidders left to uh, buy the stake eventually may actually uh, uh, you know show off in the in the in the in the valuations so so bad timing but i i think it government should still go ahead and get this done because that's also a signaling mechanism that we are serious about uh you know government not operating some of these firms which are not really core uh, to the national security interests all right uh, so before we sign off for uh, the week uh, just a special announcement uh, uh, anuradha goel uh, ji who we uh, uh, spoke to on podcast number 44 or 43 i'm not very sure uh, along with karan karyappa on uh, travel in india has a new book coming out uh, so the book is based on deities temples festivals rituals art architecture many other things um, and basically aimed at bringing an understanding towards all of this uh, civilizational cultural aspects through travel uh, seems very very interesting uh, uh, anuradha ji is a is a award winning travel writer and she she blogs at uh, indetales.com do check that out as well uh, so go check out her book uh, we'll link the we'll link her uh, book to, in the description uh, uh, on the podcast uh, do check it out and uh, yeah so that was that uh, guys we're at the end of the podcast we're at the end of the sorry not the podcast the weekly right um, uh, so this was fun i think it was a good tight uh, session on bunch of things that happened right um, 
looking forward to more podcasts uh, next week we'll we'll announce them shortly um, right and uh, you guys have a great week ahead uh, stay safe take care and uh, enjoy